Hello, e-commerce fans, and welcome to 10-Minute Ecom, an AOV Lab podcast. Every episode, we break down a new and different tactic that can help you improve your e-commerce KPIs, key performance indicators. I'm your host, Andrew Figgins, and like most of you, I am an e-commerce professional. You may know me as the founder of AOV Lab, the former VP of Digital Product Innovation at Scrubs and Beyond, or as the former Director of E-Commerce Technology at Rural King, or just from LinkedIn. Today, I'm excited to be talking to Matthew Adam Smith, an e-commerce colleague that has held a variety of interesting roles in e-commerce, including leading the marketplace and media teams at Walmart, Fortune number one. Matthew, what did you come on the show to share today with your e-commerce colleagues? Hello, Ecom Warriors. This is Matthew Adam Smith coming to you after about five years at Big Blue, the big house, Walmart, where I was really fortunate to be on the launch teams of the two latest innovations there, the two biggest growing businesses, which are the launch of the retail media network, Walmart Connect, and then more recently, the third-party marketplace, where I got to have a front row seat running strategy and business development, particularly around seller acquisition. But my door into Walmart was really to launch the media group and then later the third-party marketplace. And that's just been a thrill to get that level of access within the largest company in the history of the planet and to be in those laboratory spaces that are critical for the future of the company. And to watch that kind of a, a legacy organization try to reform itself and be actively working to reform itself. Like I got to do that stuff. And so the change management and the relationships it was just a really a thrill. And I got to say it was a fire hose of learning every day and just surrounded by, I think, the best and brightest talent I've ever had the, the fortune to really work with in my career. Well, thank you, Matthew. This episode was a fire hose of learning for me. And Matthew shares his tactic a little bit later in the episode, which is how he recommends brands approach marketplace opportunities. We'll get right into it right after this ad. Today's episode of 10 Minute Ecom is brought to you by Optiversal. Optiversal provides AI-generated SEO landing pages that can help you rank and earn organic traffic for keywords you don't currently rank for. Their software is being used by some of the premier brands in e-commerce like Best Buy, Petco, and Tractor Supply Co. I was Optiversal's customer at Scrubs and Beyond and saw firsthand how Optiversal started from scratch and built a multi-million dollar organic traffic channel. Their technology 100% works. Go to aovlab.com and click on Vendor Network to set up your 30-minute discovery call with Optiversal. And now, back to the show. I, don't get me wrong, I put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into it, but it's been a really, I think, important jumping off point for me and what I'm up to next, which is really all about leaning into where AI is going to, AI is going to take us, trying to fuse those business KPIs with societal ones. I am now just a few days post the announcement of my own thing, which is Mass Movement, which is, I think, the world's first consultancy and agency focused on helping retailers, platforms, brands, et cetera, in whatever their version of business transformation is, where AI, both an approach from AI and also specific AI tactics and tools can be used to scale and drive not just their productivity and their profitability. Yeah, there's so much happening right now with AI. We could spend many 10-minute sessions talking about <laughs> AI and everything about it. I, from your past work, Matthew, in the marketplace space, we were just chatting about this a little bit before 
we hopped on today, but just about that resistance that some retailers still have with the idea of selling outside of their own warehouse or outside of to their own customers. Yeah. But how's asking you like a little bit about in your role with Walmart, did you even experience that resistance? Did you hear about that? Or by that time, had those retailers just, had they gotten over the hurdle of that barrier? Yeah. I think it took different forms, right? Because and yet this is where it helps to appreciate where we've come from, which is legacy retail being about scarcity control and just first party owned merchandise where retailer controls most of the variables in agreement with the manufacturer. So Procter and Walmart get together once a year and then review quarterly and even monthly at various levels, their goals for the business. And that, that idea, and I think Amazon was first break through that because if you look at Amazon's business today, it's nearly two thirds third-party marketplace sellers. The obvious advantage for that is it, it reduces the risk for a retailer in terms of carrying, right, the merchandise. So greatly reduces financial risk, but it also can greatly increase legal risk and liability and risk to your customer's experience, et cetera, because you're seeding control over things like what kind of products are going to come and how good are the listings going to look? Will, the, will there be enough images? Will the accuracy on the product labels and in the listing be up to our standards? And Walmart being based in Arkansas, the, the laws there around this topic are even stricter than those governing some actors like Amazon. And so, yeah, it's definitely a calculation, I think. And so you have to put a lot of rigor into the systems that will ensure bad actors can't find a home and that good actors have every tool and every opportunity to shine and to thrive. But the other retailers out there who have chosen to either not open up their platform as a marketplace or to do so in a very curated way. And so I think it's a business calculation and it's a calculation about what you believe your responsibility to your customer is and balancing that with the business opportunity. But end of the day, I think the, the, the train has left the station in terms of can any one retailer really command any major scarcity and control? No, right? Because we're, we've all been trained now to uh, operate in an item-based universe. And whether that means your item-based universe is going to Amazon um, as your default search engine and engaging with the items there and all those sellers are competing with each other at great density, especially now with it being so saturated, it's really harder and harder to win that sale. Or if you are somebody that just likes Google or Bing and you find your, your way to an offer that way. And fun fact, Amazon is about 90% organic on-site sales right now, whereas Walmart, about 40 or 40 something percent on the odd month are originating from a web search. And so that opens up a lot of really interesting, you know, ideas about how you can find new customers, how customers can consider different marketplaces. But ultimately, I don't think, I don't think the loyalty of a customer to a certain major sort of mass retailer platform is about anything other than I think I can get the best product for the best price, the best customer service, the best shipping, et cetera. I think Timu really throws that last consideration or second to last consideration into a challenging space because Amazon trained us all. And then Walmart has been reinforcing and others have that we have to get the product <laughs> quickly, <laughs> like customer <laughs> demands two day or better. And now it's one day or better on same day, two hour. Right? And Timu basically proved actually, no, if it's really cheap, they'll wait for it. Yeah. So yeah, short answer is like marketplaces are here to stay. They're ultimately a really good thing um, because they just drive selection. They drive choice and they create mass competition between millions of sellers to just get the best products at the best price and best offer of customers. So customer wins, but retailers are definitely doing their own calculus to manage that opportunity against the risk they assume by letting 
different businesses onto a domain that they own. And it's just, a, it's a shift in risk from the old approach, which was only our own inventories on our platform. Choice is greatly reduced for customer, right? But risk is also greatly reduced for uh, the retailer in terms of legal risk and client risk. But on the other hand, they also assume all the financial risk of having made their bets weeks, months, often more than a year ago during a mod planning cycle and a line review. Uh, so the flexibility that, Walmart, that marketplaces provide there is really interesting as well. Last thing I'll say on that is I think in suppliers as well, it's not just a matter of can we get Amazon's third-party sellers to come to Walmart or I'm on WhatsApp chains with a lot of the top Amazon sellers now. And when TikTok shop flipped the switch a few weeks ago, a lot of them were taken by surprise. And there were questions about if they're no longer allowing me to drive to my Amazon page, what do I do? Do I have to open up a shop, et cetera? And so there's all these questions about um, not just which platform to be on, but again, how do I optimize my assortment there? How do I do it, right? How do I operate in TikTok shop versus Amazon? And we were talking about this just before. It's in some ways, TikTok shop is similar to Amazon because it's e-commerce. They're offering shipping services. They partner with ShipBob rather than building their own thing. Uh, they charge a commission for the sellers, et cetera. But I think that's where the similarities end because their model is all about Okay, seller or manufacturer, we're recommending you give a certain amount of products as samples to our affiliate content creators, whom you can select by very specific filters about what kinds of content they do, what sorts of products they tend to represent, how many of their videos really go viral into how many people and drive how many sales, et cetera. You can get really granular. It's really impressive what TikTok and ByteDance have built behind the scenes there. I don't know how much of that was borrowed from Douyin or made net new. But the reality is like, the engine there is about get product, get a free product in the hand of enough people that enough videos can go viral, create the demand that to move the balance of whatever you produce, and then just watch the velocity and then go do it again and again. And that's very different, obviously, than a uh, legacy e-com or even a third-party marketplace as we've been known and trained to understand it with Amazon. We were talking about some things to help brands differentiate and, and maybe even trying out TikTok shop as a way to do that. But Matthew, did you have a couple of tactics that you brought with you today in terms of just things that other brands or retailers could be looking at in terms of trying to increase their digital revenue? Yeah, I think the one will be restating some of what I just said, but repackaging it into this idea of, of diversification, specifically channel diversification and product diversification. And I think with channel, it's just pretty clear Amazon's been at this a while. The seller base is more than 2 million now. I think I read last week that the number of items on Amazon is in the hundreds of millions, maybe over 300 million, right? So it's a really crowded space. Um, and the economics, of course, I, I like to say Amazon's in late stage capitalism. You can only kick the can so far and deliver savings and, and favors to the sellers for so long. So over the last few years, and I have a front row seat to this with my ties to the seller community. Um, it's just gotten more expensive. The, you know, margins have gotten tighter. Amazon's charging for things they didn't used to. You know, the, the PPC bids can be highly volatile, account management and, and brand gating, et cetera. A lot of sellers today, are their math starts with knowing that they will give the first 50% to Amazon, right? And that's really challenging, particularly in fast and light or CPG or just any product really where your margins just, that's just not going to be sustainable for you. You factor that in, the margins are not as nearly as good. You're competing just at an unprecedented scale for that eyeball. You need to be looking at other marketplaces. So I was, that was really the pitch from my side at Walmart Marketplace was exactly that, which is we have 
a large fraction of the digital audience and eyeballs and shopper appetite that Amazon brings you, but a fraction of the sellers competing for it. So huge opportunity for a share of voice. Now, you have to, I think, balance that with knowing that you won't replicate your Amazon business on Walmart overnight, right? And you're going to be retasking resources that you have high confidence will produce at a certain amount on Amazon, and you're going to have a lot more questions about what it can produce on Walmart. So I think everybody has to figure out where on that spectrum they can go now in terms of how cash flow sensitive you are, how much of a risk can you take. But I think it's a pretty good gamble just knowing the size of the platform. And again, now with my sort of goggles off and cup of Kool-Aid out of hand, I can still say very objectively and honestly, it has every right to become a major, major player at the table. And they're surely investing in the platform to get to parity with Amazon. But at the same time, TikTok is really, I don't want to say come out of nowhere, but I said that the sellers on Amazon were surprised when they flipped the switch. And by that, literally, they had been in alpha on TikTok shop as, like last year in the UK. The um, alpha in the US, the, the, the MVP was started in April. A lot of sellers who had been on the wait list started selling on TikTok shop. And I think people had open questions about how are they going to do this? Are they going to build a fulfillment network? Why would they? Everything's commoditized now. They just partnered with ShipBob. And if FBA was the way you were selling on Amazon and WFS was on Walmart, guess what? Now there's FBT and you can ship on pallets and into, into ShipBob. And we talked earlier about how the back end of content creation works and, and that, that sort of economics. But diff, so diversify, yes, of course, but know that, again, those platforms operate very differently and you'll need to diversify probably also your product portfolio, right? Because mm-hmm. a social commerce platform is going to have really great wind in the sails and, and built in demand for certain kinds of products like supplements and beauty products and wacky things for your pets, but probably not so much for lawnmowers. <laughs> so I'd say take the time. You never know. No, yeah. And also just <laughs> do the boring, but critical work of figuring out how the algorithms work. Like you, and, and this is where I think AI is a big up because uh, there are tools now where you don't have to spend the labor or the, or your own time manually changing listings that worked for years on Amazon. Don't so much on Walmart because of the difference in keyword methodology, et cetera. There's AI tools out there that can help you do that. So I think we're at a really cool time where the, you know, the market is telling all of these sellers they have to diversify and the lift of doing that is becoming much lower and the risk associated with doing that is becoming lower according. So when I say diversify, that's what I mean. Very cool. Yep. And I think we are coming up on, on that 10 minute mark. So I'm going to allow myself one question to ask you about AI, because I want to ask you a hundred, but I'll just ask this one. Um, do you think that ultimately in, in a couple of years time that we'll look back at, at this time in AI's history and kind of say that we should have each been creating lots of AI agents to help us do different things? I think, and I'm lucky I'm not an engineer or data guy by trade or by bringing and schooling, but I've been adjacent to it and getting closer to it at Walmart, certainly as we increasingly used AI tools to do things like optimize product listings and decide which marketing messages to show customer, et cetera. I, I also happen to sit on the Corsite AI council, which is a sort of a think tank, of industry leaders, academic, et cetera, and where we have these conversations. I, from what I can glean from all of these voices is the message from, let's say, business school and technology students, where I've had the privilege last week of doing a couple of talks at Columbia and then Pace, it, their message is very much, and you would, this doesn't surprise us, right, is it's the future. It's going to change the world. You have to do it. 
So they're just gung-ho and the world is their oyster and it's amazing. And they're the ones who are going to be building it, right? They're, these are mm -hmm. coders and data and systems engineers and systems integrators. Um, the message from the same question put, which I put to my network a couple of weeks ago, and then I'll, I have a video which we can socialize, was what would you tell the room full of business school students? But this is the experts who have been, who have grown up, many of them pre-ecom and then early movers in ecom, and they're the experts, whether they're educators or influencers or actual sellers or SaaS, SaaS builders. And their message is very pragmatic, right? Lean in. And they're talking to an audience of folks who maybe are a little hesitant. So it's, they tend to be more like, look, guys, don't be slow to the punch here. Lean in, get to the party, understand it's going to be messy, but just start experimenting because if you don't embrace it, you will be replaced by it. And that's where I'll land. Yes, we're in this really interesting space that I think has a generational divide in a way that is on one end of the spectrum is, I don't want to say reluctance, but it's where do I start and what do I do? And because we're professionals and we feel like we need to fully understand something mm -hmm. on the other side of the spectrum are those who are just so wide eyed and naturally optimistic that this is the way forward. So I think, again, we will all find our place in that spectrum. But what we share on that is you just got to do it. And I'm like, if it's as simple as put it in your planner, like like 15 or 30 minutes a night on chat GPT or whatever gen AI thing you're on, or just do it and just let it take you where it will. Yeah. I think that's great advice. Actually. I'm not sure if they're doing this in elementary schools or middle schools, but just having that time to spend prompting and getting results. And now that it's expanded to image generation, in addition to text generation, although that's been around for a long time, it's been made easy now with Dally three. It's amazing. I've got my kids making coloring pages for four and 10. Oh yeah. That's amazing. Here's another thing. So my friend, Justin Maynard, who's just started a company called detail pages or detailpage.com that we're called. He's got a great clip where he talks about how you need something done. Maybe you need a Chrome extension to get something done. You're not a coder. Guess what? <laughs> Chat GPT is a coder, right? You can literally tell Chat GPT, I need a, a Chrome extension to do X, Y, Z. It will write the code, right? And suddenly you have a bespoke custom tool that you've built for your own very specific need. And there's just, there's going to be millions of versions of it, right? So just think big, think broad and talk to it like a four-year-old. Thanks so much, Matthew. I learned a ton from you just in this short time. And I, I can't wait to talk again. I hope we get to chat again about AI in some more detail. I'd love to hear more about what you're doing at Centric as well. Yeah, really appreciate this. I'd love to stay part of the family, man. Absolutely. <laughs> Have a great Thanksgiving. Yeah, you too. Have a good one. We've hit that 10 minute mark times two. So that's a wrap for today's episode, double episode. I want to again, thank our guest, Matthew Adam Smith. If you have a moment, be sure to subscribe, like, or follow the show on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Amazon music, Google podcasts, or wherever it is that you listen, feel free to rate or review the show as well as it helps us reach more listeners. If you're an e-commerce professional that would like to join for an upcoming episode, reach out to humans at aovlab.com and a human will read and respond to your inquiry. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the show. Until next time, this is Andrew Figgins signing off and saying, have a good one.